Let us turn, please, in the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah. And I want you to turn especially to the 26th chapter. And in verse 8 we read, Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. We have been considering some of these sermons of Jeremiah and we've recognized the very similar circumstances between the days of Jeremiah and the time that God judged Israel and allowed them to be taken off captives to Babylon and the conditions that prevail in our day and in Israel today in the church of Christ today Jeremiah dealt with the people, he dealt with the priest, he dealt with the kings, he dealt with everybody that was related to this awful declension and this turning away from the things of God. His messages were most stern. The only hope he offered them was that if they would repent and turn back to the law, that God would forgive them and that the impending judgment would be lifted. But here in this 25th chapter, we have a number of touches that are just added as we move along, and I want to point them out to you first in the presentation of the message. But in verse 13 we read, And I will bring upon that land all my words plural which I have pronounced against it even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations now God is telling the people he's telling us that his words he's spoken he's pronounced judgment he's warned them he's given them details of what he's going to do to them because of their sin and he says I will bring upon that land all these words my words which I have spoken against it and which are written in this book which Jeremiah hath prophesied In other words, God is telling us that the prophecies of Jeremiah, this written book, is his word. Now you run into this everywhere you turn around in the scripture, but in the midst of this tremendous prophecy and all the judgment that's being pronounced, and God just summarizes it and he says, My word is written, Jeremiah has delivered it, and I'm going to execute it. That's the word of the Lord. Beloved, we have reached a day when men no longer respect this word or listen to it as a word from God. 
And that authority, that unction, that anointing, which accompanies the preaching of the word from the pulpit, is long since passed away. You go to church to hear the opinion of the preacher. And so far as anything is concerned, that past week he may have been out down somewhere in, in Selma or somewhere else, and he's out in all these activities. And we no longer look at the ministry of the pulpit as men who are standing here simply delivering faithfully unto you what is written. And I cannot emphasize it enough. I cannot bring it before you, your attention too frequently that God has put his word in your hands, in your care. And God has given us the desire to maintain a church with a pulpit on which we have the open Bible and in which we come to speak to you week after week in order that we might be refreshed and strengthened by the Word of God. And when I look out across this congregation today, and I see those of you, members of this church, who've come some of your great distances. You've driven 20 miles, 30 miles, 50 miles, some of you more than that, to come into this place to worship God. And to enter this place with an understanding that here the word of God will be held up before you. And when you are finished and you go back to where you live to carry on your activity and to serve the Lord, you will have had the blessing of knowing that I've been up to the house of the Lord. I've been in the place where that word is honored. And I have worshipped with a group of people who are seeking to honor this word and to be clean and separate and true and obedient to what God has given to us. And this worship and this service and this gathering together is altogether different than this perfunctory, formal type of thing. Once a day we come in and... We've got a nice preacher and he's got a degree and he wears a frock tail coat and we've got a few other things. And we've been to church and we're with the social elite and we have nice connections in the town and we're in the church where the more influential people gather and all that sort of bunk. That type of thing is going on all over this country today. And that's about all many of these churches have become. Just nice social organizations, with prestige and respect for persons and bowing and scraping here on every hand. No, beloved, when you come into the house of God, there is no respect of persons. When you come into the house of God, you sit in the sight of God in the light of this blessed book. And God says, I will execute, I will bring my words, the thing that I've said against Judah and against Israel and against the Chaldeans, the things that I've said against Egypt, all the words that I've spoken against these nations, I will fulfill as they are written in the book according to the prophecy of Jeremiah. Now the second matter that stands out in this passage, which is very significant, is in the 11th verse of the 25th chapter. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 
70 years. How could Jeremiah say that their captivity would be 70 years? How could he project this judgment? How could he project this desolation? How could he project it 70 years? Why didn't he say 50 years? Why didn't he say 90 years? Why did he say 70 years? Because he spoke by divine revelation. He is here predicting the duration of this exile. And he is predicting it before it came to pass. Now you say Jeremiah has these stern messages and oh they're stern and their messages of frightful judgment and their carcasses are going to be for the fowls of the heaven. And all the carnage that's going to take place as a result of their sin. But in the midst of these frightful sermons of judgment that Jeremiah is pronouncing, you find these little things running through them that give this seal of revelation. You find these indications showing up here and there that indicate that Jeremiah is speaking not in his own voice, but he's speaking by a divine spirit that is guiding him and is telling him that this exile and this uh, captivity will endure for 70 years. Beloved, we are confronted with this phenomenon that runs all through Scripture. All through the scripture you have this phenomena of the prophets being able to predict events which would come to pass. Some of these events were only a few years ahead. Some of them were uh, half a century. Some of them went as far as 200 years in the case of the Cyrus prophecy that I'm going to deal with next Sunday night. Some of these prophecies covered a span of, of a long period. And in the case of the Messiah... The predictions concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, 750 years was the name Bethlehem before Christ was born in Bethlehem. And then in the case of the crucifixion, as described in the 22nd Psalm, the prophecy is 1,000 years before he hung on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One of the great phenomena of prophecy, or rather of revelation, is the accuracy of the prophecies. And Jesus Christ said, I've told you before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, ye may believe. And the force of these predictions that deal with names and time and specifics is that God alone was able to tell us because he knew. He knows the end from the beginning. So here in this great passage you have two mighty things that confirm the word of God. The first one is that God says, I'll fulfill my words and Jeremiah's written them for you in a book. And the second one is, is this very interesting detail concerning the duration of the Babylonian captivity, which would be 70 years. This Bible has in it all the internal evidence that you need to persuade you that we have here a book which is from God. It's all in this book. And if you will read it and if you will study it, the excellencies that evidence this book to be a message from God abound through it all. 
But when you read it as one whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit, when you read it as one who has been born again by the power of God, and you have become a child of God by faith, then this is a book which is golden. This is a book which is a treasure. This is a book which is indeed the book of life. Now let's look at these judgments that are pronounced. And then the difficulties that Jeremiah gets into because of them. If you will notice in this 25th chapter, the 25th chapter, that we have repetitions again and again of what God says he's going to do. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. All the people of Judah. And then verse 3, right in the heart of it. The word of the Lord hath come unto me, and I have spoken unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye have not hearkened. And the Lord hath sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Turn ye again now, everyone, from his evil way, and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. All through the prophecy of Jeremiah, you find this emphasis upon turning the people away from the evil of their doings. And you find these two phrases always seeming to accompany one another right along. From the evil way and from the evil of your doings. And if these false prophets had stood in my counsel and had listened to my word, they would have turned you from your evil way and from the evil of your doings. And it is the task and the burden of the ministry of the prophets of God to turn the people of God away from their sins and away from the evil of their doings and to direct them under the commandments of God into the paths of righteousness and into the way of holiness that we might be a peculiar people unto our God. And it is the power of the word as presented by the faithful preacher that is used to help you get out of the ways of stumbling and back again into the ways of security and of truth. This is the message that speaks to the backsliders and tells them that they must turn from their path of worldliness of sin and come back again into the house of God and to the things of God. Oh, beloved, our preaching today is so superficial. It is so soft. It is so worthless. People are comforted in their iniquity. And the preacher is preaching to ears that are itching and he's seeking to tingle them and to please them and to appease them and to keep the people comfortable so they won't be upset. Oh, beloved, this passage here in Jeremiah is that the prophets came early. They rose up and they came and they preached to the people, but the people wouldn't listen and they would not hear. And that's our trouble today. 
That is our basic problem and our basic trouble today is getting the people to hear, to listen, to heed, to take account and to recognize that there is the God of Jeremiah. To recognize that there is the God who has a law. And it is this law which is the transgression of sin. It is this law by which he deals with nations and he deals with individuals and he deals with families. And that's the great emphasis that we have here in this ministry of Jeremiah as he holds up these great standards of the law of God. Now you turn just a little further down in this same passage. Verse 5, they said, Turn ye again now, everyone, from his evil way and from the evil of your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them and to worship them and to provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands, and I will do you no hurt. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all of the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take out of them the voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the sound of the millstone and the light of the candle and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Beloved, don't you think for one minute that the United States of America is going to be some kind of an exception. Don't you think for one minute that we can go on as a nation and this is our, our time of thinking of our great independence and all that is meant to us. Don't think for one minute that we can go on desecrating God's law, violating his standards that he's given to us. Don't think for one minute that God in some way or other is going to make an exception to the United States of America. His law is no respecter. And our great nation is going to suffer the same fate as other nations who have had life and then they've gone down in judgment and in judgment under the hand of a righteous and a holy God. And unless the people of our nation are going to repent and turn back to God and look to God Almighty for our help and for our strength. Somebody this week sent me a reproduction of the first prayer meeting held in the Congress of the United States right over here in Philadelphia. And... The report accompanied it that the motion was made that they open Congress with prayer. They've been doing it ever since. And the picture which I have and which was given to me, a reproduction, shows these various men, some on their knees, some standing up with their heads bowed, and 
quite a little company of different postures. But there they were in the opening of the Congress of this Republic, calling upon God and asking him to give them some help. I read this week a story of an account of the action of Benjamin Franklin here in regard to the drafting of the Constitution, our Constitution as a nation. Very thrilling story. But it seems that the members of the <clears throat> Congress that was preparing the Constitution were at great uh, differences concerning some of these ideas that they wanted to put into this Constitution of ours. This gives us these checks and balances and these protections from the tyrant. And uh, they had struggled and struggled and struggled over a certain point in a certain area there until their nerves were frayed and they'd been at it for days. Benjamin Franklin arose. He made a speech to the effect that we read in the Bible that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's notice. And he said, if that's true, how could we constitute a nation without the concern of the Almighty God? And he suggested that they turn to prayer and then that they adjourn. There was only one vote against having a prayer meeting and the report said that George Washington, who was presiding, called for the ayes and they all voted aye and he didn't call for the no. But there was one that was no for the prayer. They had their prayer and they adjourned. When they came back together after several days and they had chances to talk and discuss, they were of one mind and they put it together. Beloved, you can't build a nation. You just can't do it without God. And here's this law, here's this truth. And these men who laid the foundations of this great republic and gave to us this constitution of ours, believed in God, they looked to God, they asked God to help them, God did help them. And now in this hour of our trouble and our need, we must look to that same God, but we must honor that God. And we must honor his righteousness in all of our dealings and in our national life. Well, when you read this account of Jeremiah, what do you find again? Well, at this point, they've gotten to the place where they say Jeremiah must die. Well, you turn over to the 26th chapter and notice verse 8. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto the people that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him saying thou shalt surely die they didn't approve of what Jeremiah was saying they didn't approve of what Jeremiah was doing and they didn't want to have Jeremiah around so they decided that the thing to do was to simply eliminate him if they killed him he couldn't talk he'd be dead he'd be out of the way and you have here an expression of this hostility to the things of God 
which has always been in the heart of man since the day that Cain killed Abel. That's where it started. Cain killed Abel because Abel brought the blood sacrifice. And Abel had the fellowship with God. And the ungodly, the descendants of Cain, are in conflict and they hate the men of faith and the people of God. It has always been that way. And when you turn, will you turn with me please to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew and you find the blessed words of our Lord Jesus Christ in this same particular. And here in verse 37 our Savior says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us that it's the way it's always been all through the Old Testament. I raised up the prophets and they came and I sent them and they preached and they gave you the words and they gave you the warnings and they told you these things would come. And what did you do with them? You stoned them. You slew them. You wouldn't listen to them. He says, your house is going to be left to you desolate when you won't listen to my word, when you won't listen to the messengers that bring to you the word of God. God's going to leave your house desolate. God's going to deal with you in judgment. Isn't it interesting in this 23rd chapter of Matthew, it's a very interesting one here, and you find it in certain places, where the leaders of the day of our Savior, when they wanted to kill him, you know, and they wanted to reject him, but they wanted to appeal to Moses... And Jesus Christ said, Ye build the tombs of the prophets. But if ye had lived in the days of your fathers, ye would have been among those who stoned the prophets. And so today, those who would stone the prophets are building the tombs of the prophets of other days to try to commend their respectability and their opposition to us. And thus we have the strategy. Thus we see this thing taking place. And in the case now of Jeremiah, they've come to the point where they said, Jeremiah, we're going to use our tongues against you. Jeremiah, we're going to make some sort of a scheme to deal with you. But now, Jeremiah, we have decided that you must die for this kind of preaching, for this kind of reproach, for this kind of denunciation. We're not going to heed it. We're not going to hear it. So we'll eliminate Jeremiah. Last night down at Cape May, I spoke on this exhibit that was released this last week on this Richard Wormbrand from... who was from Romania. He spent 14 years in prison in Romania. Nine of them in a in a cell down below one of the most important government buildings in the capital. Let me read you right here at the beginning. This was released by the Senate, and I consider it to be the most important document of its kind that's come out since 1959. But let me read you what they say to this man, Wormbrand. They paid $7,000. The Christians in Oslo gathered up $7,000 and paid it as a ransom to the Romanian government so that he could get out. And now... 
Uh, Reverend Wormbrand, I came to the United States three weeks ago, and here's the senator. Were you required by the secret to police to make any commitments before you could leave Romania? This is communist Romania. Reverend Wormbrand, before I left Romania, I was called twice to the secret police. The first time they said, they don't know yet if they will allow me to leave the country with my family. They said, dollars have been received for you. That's possibly the 7,000. You will have to leave the country, but perhaps we will let some time pass because your remembrances of prison are too fresh. And you have a good pen, P-E-N. Senator, what? Reverend Wormbrandt, a pen. You can write too well. Perhaps we will keep somebody here of your family as a hostage. The second time they called me again and they said, Now you will leave the country, but be very cautious when you come out. You may preach Christ as you like. We know that you are a preacher, but don't touch us. Don't speak against communists. If you will speak against communism for $1,000, we can find a gangster who will liquidate you. We play with you with open cards. You come from prison. You have met in prison men whom we have brought back from the West. And that is the truth. I have been in prison with a Romanian Orthodox priest who had been kidnapped from Austria. I have seen his nails torn out and broken, and so they reminded me of that. You know how our prisons are that you can come back in prison. For $1,000, they told him, if you went out and talked, they'd liquidate him. Now he's talked. And he had to go back to Europe. He didn't have the necessary visa. His visa expired. He's gone back to Europe. He's over there now. They'll liquidate him. Unless God intervenes. But we're reaching these days when, when you speak, when you speak, when you speak, when they speak, they want to silence you, they want to stop you, they want to eliminate you, they want to remove you. And that's what the communists have done. And this is the hearing before the United States Senate on May the 6th. There it is. Here in the United States, they can't exactly put us in prison yet, but they carry on all sorts of strategies and tactics to discredit the Christian and the believer, and the man is going to stand up. All this sort of thing is going on. And you know the difficulties that your pastor has in these regards constantly. This past week, the Newsweek magazine came out with another one of these big stories, but it's the same old line. You're listening to a deposed preacher and all of that. And somehow or other they think that by that they're going to turn people so they won't listen, they won't hear, they won't give their support, they won't respond to the things that we're trying to say. All right, will you turn back now to this passage in Jeremiah and just look what Jeremiah has to say in these regards. How beautiful it is. What a tremendous comfort it is to the people of God in these days. And uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah speaking, <clears throat> verse 11. 
Then spake the priest and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die. He hath prophesied against this city, as ye have heard with your ears. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city. All the words that ye have heard. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will repent him of the evil he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hands to do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. But know ye for certain that if ye put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants and thereof for of a truth the Lord has sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. When they said, Jeremiah, we're going to kill you. You're worthy of it. You deserve it. You've spoken against it. What did Jeremiah do? He said, well now, just a minute, I'll, I'll state my case again and make it a little softer. The Jeremiah said, just a minute, let me, let me see what I can do. He said, no, the Lord sent me and I will repeat the same pronouncement against your city and against your conduct and against your disobedience that I gave you in the first place. God commanded me to tell you these things. But as for me, I'm in your hands. I did what God told me to do. I, I spoke the truth to you, but as for me, here I am. And if you do put me to death, innocent blood will be on your hands. Innocent blood will be in this city. Now look at the next verse. Then said the priest and all the people unto the priest. Then said the princes, rather, and all the people unto the priest and to the prophets. This man is not worthy to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of our God. In other words, there was a minority there, there was a remnant there, there were still some people there that when Jeremiah spoke and they said, the priest said he ought to die, he ought to die, he ought to die, they said, no, we've heard him. And if there's something about his message, he's preaching the word of God to us. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assembly of the people, saying, and now look at the illustration, we have two of them. Micah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and spake all to the people of Judah saying thus that the Lord Zion shall be like a plowed field and Jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountains of the houses of the high places of the forest did Hezekiah king of Judah and all Judea put him at all to death did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord and the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them Thus might we procure this great evil against our souls. <clears throat> they said there was a man by the name of Micah one time. He came preaching just like Jeremiah. And in the days of Hezekiah, they listened to him. And when they listened to him, the Lord spared them. The Lord lifted their judgment from them. Now look at the next one, verse 20. And there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah of the son of Shemaiah, of Kirjah-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land and against the words of Jeremiah, uh, according to all the words of Jeremiah. Isn't it interesting how, when you go back, you look at this prophet, same kind of message as Jeremiah. 
You look at this prophet, same kind of message as Jeremiah. But in one case, they repented and they were spared. In the other case, they didn't repent and they perished. They were judged for their sin. All right, now look what happens to this man, this prophet. You ride to the son of uh, Shemaiah. And when the Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went into Egypt. And Jehoiakim the king sent men into Egypt. And verse 30, 23, they fetched him out of Egypt and brought him unto Jehoiakim the king who slew him with a sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hands of the people to put him to death. Now, beloved, I want to give you this as we close. How beautiful it is. Maybe you haven't seen it just in this light, but here it is. It's just as clear as can be. Each prophet is in the hands of the God. He sends him. He preaches his word. He delivers it faithfully. He delivers it faithfully. As Jeremiah did, as these prophets did, as Micah did, as Uriah did. In the case of Micah, they repented. And there was a great revival. In the case of Uriah, The king sought to destroy him. He fled to Egypt. He sent messengers down to Egypt. They got him, brought him back. He slew him with a sword and he was dead. Here at this point when Jeremiah says, I am in thy hands, speaking to the people, I'm in thy hands, I'm in thy hands. I preach the word to you. Jeremiah recognized that the decision as to whether you're going to be delivered or whether you're not going to be delivered is in the definite providence and purposes of God. That's where it rests. Isn't it interesting that when the three Hebrews stood up on the plains of Dura, they said, our God's able to deliver us, but uh, if not, very well, we'll die in the furnace. And no man puts his life above the commands of God. No man puts himself above the truth of God. And that was the spirit of the Patrick Henry when he said in the formation of our republic, give me liberty or give me death. I'd rather be dead than red. Our lives, what we have, are subordinate to truth. All that we have must be sacrificed and given in behalf of the gospel of Christ and in the cause of liberty. It's here in Jeremiah. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank Thee for the message today. We thank Thee for this precious and this glorious truth which we find in Jeremiah. And Lord, may our nation heed the voice of the prophets. May it turn back to thee, to thy word, to thy law. And as we observe our independence and celebrate all that the 4th of July has meant to us, we ask that this spirit of putting our lives secondary 
and our God and his truth and our freedom primary may be in the hearts of all of us. For Christ's sake, amen. All right, now let's turn as we close 666. I really don't like that number, but God bless our native life. <laughs> May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.